knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And we're going to be touching on a few different things today and hoping to get it all in on this one episode because it's been kind of a crazy week on social media, in Reformed land at least. Oh my goodness, so many things happening this week. <laughs> but yeah, John MacArthur <laughs> goes... Well, we're going to start... We're going to start this episode and talk just briefly about John MacArthur's um, interview on the Ben Shapiro show. And at the end of the episode, we're going to talk about the whole Lauren Daigle fiasco and what she said on, uh, I guess it was a podcast that she wasn't sure if homosexuality was wrong. So we'll talk about that at the end, and then we'll have um, some exciting stuff in the middle there. So in case you haven't been on social media all week, uh, you might not know that John MacArthur went on the Ben Shapiro show, and Ben has Sunday specials that he does every week where he brings somebody in and talks to them for about an hour. So I did, I was kind of surprised uh, that he had John MacArthur on. If mm-hmm. you don't know, for those who don't know, Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jew. So he primarily talks about politics, but his Judaism definitely plays into what he believes and um, his views on political things. Although, interestingly enough, a lot of Jews are... Democrats. So a lot of you may know that my own father converted from Orthodox Judaism uh, when he was in college. And his story, I don't know if I've ever told the story about my dad on here. Uh, There was a girl at college and he had a crush on her and obviously wasn't a very good Orthodox Jew because he didn't check to see if she was an Orthodox Jew before asking her out. But he asked her out and she said, no, I will not go out with you but you can come with me to church on Wednesday night. So he had quite the crush on her. He thought, okay, well, that's how it's got to start. That's how it's going to start. And he never did date her, but 
within about three weeks, he had faith in Christ. And this was a big deal. If you can imagine, your family is is Orthodox Jewish, and you come home and tell them, guess what? I believe in Jesus, and I'm being baptized. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> wow. That's a great testimony. It is, you know, it it is such an amazing example of God's sovereignty. And mm-hmm. it was because of his conversion that a couple of years later, he went to work for Worldwide Pictures, which was connected to the Billy Graham Association, and then eventually went to go work for the Billy Graham Association and met my mom. So God's sovereignty through all of it. And otherwise, I might not be here. So the Lord is good. But let me just say first, I got in a couple conversations on Twitter, and there are things that John MacArthur said that have some people upset. But I want to be clear and say that I'm so grateful that he was able to go on there and share the gospel. And he did more than once throughout the interview. And I do recommend going to see it. And I am very, very grateful because there's a lot of non-Christians that got to hear the gospel from that. So I definitely do not want to give the impression that I think that this was all just horrible. That it, um, that it was just, uh, you know, something that wasn't good. So let me just start with, with playing just a part where he shares the gospel with Ben. And this was kind of in the beginning. We, we had a question on the, on the little questionnaire that you, your people sent me. It mm-hmm. said, do you feel like you might be offending Democrats with some of the things you say? And my response to that is, look, my goal is to offend everyone. <laughs> that is my initial goal to tell you that you are without God in the world, that there's only one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, that you're in sin, that sin brings death and punishment. But the good news is Jesus Christ is the Savior who's provided a way for you to be forgiven by bearing your sins in His body on the tree so that God's justice is satisfied and His love can be extended to you by putting your trust in Christ. So I that was a great gospel presentation to a Jewish man right there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we should um, praise God and um, pray about the possibility that he might put faith in Christ and that he's heard the gospel. And lots and lots of listeners heard the gospel too. That's also amazing. Yeah. And actually thinking about my own father's story, you never know what the Lord is going to use, not even just in Ben's life. And we do pray that he comes to salvation, but maybe a listener just heard the gospel for the first time from that show. So we are, we are very grateful for that. Um, But there, there was a couple of parts and we're going to focus on one that people were a little bit upset about. So I'm going to go ahead and play that. There is a Christian kind of popular doctrine that I um, reject with all my heart, and that is that the church has replaced Israel and the promises of God. It's called supersessionism. I, I don't believe in that. I think that, honestly, hate to say this, but I honestly think it is a latent form of uh, anti-Semitism to, to say that. I, you, you can't tell me that God made promises in the Old Testament to his people Israel concerning his future kingdom and salvation, and that he would give them a heart, a new heart and a new spirit, and he would write his laws in their heart, and they, they would be saved, and he would be their king, and they would be his people, and all those kingdom prophecies. You can't possibly tell me that God didn't mean what he said. So, Angela, 
I think you and I both went and listened to this after we heard people talking about it. Right, right. Um, and and I did listen to a good por- portion of it. Of course, we just heard the the main part. And, you know, folks have been saying that um, MacArthur is talking about covenant theology here. And, you know, I know from our conversations, you and I both agree that that's, that's what we hear in this clip, um, is that there's a good reason to believe that he is talking about covenant theology. We, we obviously don't know for sure, and I want to be really careful in representing him correctly. Well, first of all, just so that people know, replacement theology, supersessionism are sometimes terms used, but they're more derogatory terms used to describe covenant theology, but by dispensationalists. And so that is something that does happen. And by the way, they wrongly represent covenant theology. But the right. reason why I think that there's a good chance that's what he is referring to is that he calls it a popular doctrine. Mm-hmm. So true replacement theology, which really isn't much of a thing, or super secessionism, um, that, those are not popular things. And right. so covenant theology could be seen as a popular doctrine. Right. And I actually took some time this week in preparing. Um, I went back and listened to an address that MacArthur gave in 2007 at the Shepherds Conference. And it was about why every Calvinist should be a premillennialist and uh, believe in dispensationalism. And he used some of the same rhetoric. And so for me, this, this kind of brings some clarity to the thought about whether or not he's talking about covenant theology because he he does um, use the same terminology in an address where the entire purpose of the address is to talk about covenant theology and amillennialism. Um, Let me just read this quote. Honestly, I rarely hear somebody preach on the Old Testament and interpret the Old Testament the way a person living at the time it was written would have interpreted it. We can use it as an illustration. We can use it to elucidate it. We can use it as an example. These things are written as examples Paul told the Corinthians, but it has to have its own meaning to its own people. It must have clarity and perspicuity. And if you say all those promises to Israel really were to the church, they were meaningless and unintelligible to them. Replacement theology, this is called by the way, and scholastically often referred to as supersessionism. It demands that the Old Testament promises be viewed through the lens of the New Testament. And so this, this little um, section at, uh, during that address is very similar to what's said here in this clip. And I, you know, we know that from that address that the entire address was about amillennialism and um, covenant theology. And so I think it's reasonable to think that he is talking about covenant theology. And it should be noted that the idea of replacement or superseding, because supersessionism is saying that the church supersedes Israel. Mm -hmm. And the idea of replacement or something superseding is actually an idea that's foreign to covenant theology. Mm -hmm. And it's really something that you hear dispensationalists accuse. And I think the reason is, is because they are looking at it from a dispensational lens. And that's why it's foreign to us, but the way that they understand it through their dispensational lens. Right. We don't believe that that Israel is replaced by the church, but we rather we believe that there is one people of God 
And that's believing Jews and Gentiles. And that's how it has always been. And so the church has been within Israel. We don't believe that the church replaces Israel. Uh, just to make, you know, saying it again, to be clear, we do not believe that the church replaces Israel, but that there's always been one people of God. And so, yeah, we would not call ourselves um, replacement theologists. We, that's really a term that I've only ever heard as a derogatory term used by people who don't hold to covenant theology. The other thing I want to quickly address the, this idea that it's latent anti-Semitism and that that really upset me, obviously, from my background. Half my family is Jewish. And I'll be honest, it's not gone over well with some of my dispensational family, especially my father, that um, I've embraced covenant theology. But they would not say that I am anti-Semitic. I think my father's primary disappointment is because this is my family, these are my genes, this is my blood. And um, I'm not seeing the Jews as the people of God in the way that um, they were in the Old Testament. But I think it's it's foolish and to to assume any sort of anti-Semitism based on this theology. You know, a, a friend of mine, and some of you guys may know him from a podcast called The Council of Google Plus. They a podcast after Matt Slick's show and kind of discuss what goes on in, on Matt Slick's show. But he he really thought that to assume an entire group is anti-Semitic based on something is really contrary to the recent social justice statement. And I'm going to read just one thing he said because he, he said it very well. He said, according to the social justice statement, the authors of the statement and MacArthur's articles that came out about the statement, only individuals can be racist and not systems. So for them to say that supersessionism is latent anti-Semitism is just to say that a system, covenant theology, is racist, anti-Semitic. And that, that really is kind of a good point there. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a brilliant thought that, um, you know, if systems can't be racist, if only individuals can be racist, then it doesn't seem possible then that that covenant theology should be characterized as anti-Semitic. Well, and there are things that are blatantly um, like white supremacism. Okay, mm-hmm. something like that, where their whole foundation is built on a ra- on racist ideas, and uh, you know we saw things with with Nazi Germany and and things like that. So we do see groups, mm-hmm. uh, but when we attribute uh, racism to something that is not inherently racist, I think we got to be really careful with that. Exactly. So, you know, once again, I just do want to say I do appreciate um, that MacArthur shared the gospel more than once. We encourage you to go listen to it. A lot of it I really liked. There was another um, controversial part, and and it's where he, MacArthur, was talking about um, whether Jews and Christians worship the same God. And he said, you know, Muslims don't worship the same God, but Jews and Christians do. So some people took issue with that. Now, I did hear somebody say that what they believed MacArthur was saying is that the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. I, I'm not sure, you know, we can't 
MacArthur's not going to come on Theology Gals anytime soon. <laughs> um, so, and so there was some discussion in several reformed groups that I'm in on whether or not Jews and Christians worship the same God. And I, I really think that we have enough reason to believe that no one comes to the Father but through Christ. And so it's very difficult to worship God when you can't even get to God. Right. Um, and one of our fellow theology gals, um, Loretta, made a great point when we were talking about this, that if Jews, unconverted Jews, really do worship the same God that we worship, why do we preach the gospel to them? Well, it's it's because they don't, and they do need the gospel because they need to put their faith in Christ um, for their salvation. So, um, I, I think that that's um, a really good thought, a really good point of logic there. That if they worship the same God as us, then they they don't need to be converted, but they do need to be converted. They need the gospel. There are some dispensationals who would see them as worshiping the same God because they see that these are still God's chosen people called to something. Mm -hmm. And so we won't get deep into that. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Rod Rosenblatt sent me and a few other people an article and I forwarded it to Angela and we really talked about this and said, oh, we need to talk about this on the podcast. And I think this will be familiar to a lot of you, but the article was about this new idea of, you know, I share my truth. She shares her truth. It's this, um, now I have my own truth and it's really divorced from actual truth. And Mm -hmm. I even went on YouTube and if you look up sharing my truth, you, there's all kinds of videos, and I'll, I'll talk about some of those a little bit later. But this is a really popular thing, and we saw it. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of this, but we saw it during the Kavanaugh hearings recently where the, the people coming out with accusations, they say, well, she's just sharing her truth. And I have some concerns that this is something that some of these ideas are even in our Christian circles. For instance, if I have an emotional experience, whether it's consistent with the Word of God or not, I can say, well, it's my truth. And the real issue here is that it's it's denying the idea that there is, in fact, objective truth. Um, and so if we all have our own truth, then... Ultimately, that's really just relativism. Um, Relativism is the doctrine that there are no absolute truths, and that is that truth is always relative to some particular frame of reference. It's kind of an interesting idea if you think about it, because this is really what what is called a self-defeating claim. It includes within itself its own field of reference that it actually denies. So if I read this again, the definition of relativism... It's the doctrine that there are no absolute truths. That is, that truth is always relative to some particular frame of reference. Well, it makes within itself the claim that there's no absolute truths, and that is itself an absolute. So, so it's self-defeating. We, so we know that this idea that there's no absolute truth, you have yours, I have mine, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. We know just from pure logic that can't be true. Um, But we know from the Word of God that there is absolute truth. Um, The Word of God gives us moral absolutes. It gives us facts about events. 
Um, and so those things are really objective. They're not subjective. They're not determined by you or by me. So if you want to define what truth is, just even going to the dictionary, it's something that is that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. So this is something objective. I mean, the very definition of it is something that's found in fact or reality. So it's objective. And I looked up the Bible dictionary and uh, it said that in scripture, truth is characterized by both qualitative and quantitative aspects. And in the historical narratives of the Old Testament, truth is identified with personal veracity and historical factuality. And if you go through, if you if you go to your concordance and look up truth, if you've got a good concordance or do it online and you and you read all of the verses that talk about truth, well, some things that we know is that our standard for truth is in who God is and what he declares as true. Like Angela was talking about, we have specific objective truths regarding morality. Right. Uh, it's amazing um, if you look in scripture, um, what the word of God says about truth um, it says in Psalm 15 too, the blameless one speaks truth from the heart. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Psalm 5, 9, the wicked do not speak truth. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. And so these are all here, some very objective statements about people who do not speak truth. The psalmist tells God to guide me into your truth, and that's Psalm 25, 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. And God's word is truth in 2 Timothy 2, 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And that's really interesting there, accurately handling the word of truth. Um, if if truth is subjective and you get yours and I get mine, then there's really no need to measure whether or not we are accurately handling it. You can make it what you would like and I can make it what I would like. But the word of God says that there's a way that we accurately handle the word of truth, which tells me that there's a way that you can inaccurately handle it, um, which tells me that truth is something that is objective. Well, and it also, all of those passages that you just read, what we see is that truth is good, and something that is false is not good, that mm-hmm. truth is consistent with who God is and his word. As Christians, we can be confident that his word is true. And we, can all, we also need to be careful to be discerning that we handle his word um, with truth. Right. And so God, God is our standard. We have confidence because we know his word is true. If, if his word was subjective, I remember I was talking, sharing the gospel with a friend. This is years and years ago. And they said to me, well, that's true for you. So mm-hmm. it's, it's only true for you. Um, I mean, you can have things that are only true for me. Pink looks good on me and not on, you know, my friend or something like that. Okay, that's true for you. But that, <laughs> that's still not really a, a true. But but you run into even these ideas when when you're uh, talking to people about the faith and apologetics, where you're talking about things that are truth or this idea of relativism that Angela was speaking about. 
earlier. But I wanted to go through and I watched a bunch of videos and read a bunch of articles because I really wanted to understand what do people mean when they say, I'm sharing my truth. And I, I'll give an example of one of the videos that I watched. It was a YouTube video and it was a, a lady in the makeup industry. And her video was titled, Sharing My Truth. Now, in this instance, and I think it's sometimes done this way, she was basically sharing what happened to her that she had not shared previously. So it wasn't necessarily a subjective thing. She was sharing something that was true. But I think where the sharing the tr- my truth part actually came in was the emotions that she experienced as a result of the things that happened to her. Right. So sometimes when people use the phrase, I'm sharing my truth or speaking my truth, what they really are saying is, I'm going to give you my perspective. Um, I'm going to tell you the way that I perceived something. And so I, I think I would say that there's really nothing wrong with that. But um, the the phraseology, my truth, makes it a little tricky. But um, I think we all do understand that we sometimes perceive things differently and um, it, it can be good to talk about that and to share our perspective um, with one another and work towards better understanding. But I think it would be helpful if maybe we would say, let me give you my perspective rather than let me give you my truth. Right. Well, one of the things that's happened with this idea of I'm sharing my truth is because it's my truth, you must believe me as if it's fact. And that's where the problem has come in. There's nothing wrong with saying, let me share my perspective and please hear me out. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But when you say, this is my truth and my truth must be believed because mm. it is my truth, that's that's where the problem has really come. And I actually found a guy in all these articles I read, one guy said, truth is a subjective thing. It is influenced by your society upbringing past experiences, while the truth is a mere illusion of having a truth. So that, that's what this guy thinks the truth is. And this was in regards to sharing your truth. Somebody else said, when I say your truth, I'm not referring to opinions. I'm referring to your deeply held beliefs. So that's another thing that my truth is. It's my deeply held beliefs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so then the question becomes, well, what are your deeply held beliefs founded upon? What's the standard that you're using to form those deeply held beliefs? Um, And of course, we would say it should be the word of God. And so your truth should match up with his truth. Right. If if he is our complete standard, exactly what you were saying, Angela, what are are those truths founded upon? Now, I do want to say that I don't think that that always is necessarily a bad thing. I think saying my truth is not a great way to talk about it because then we we lose the emphasis and importance of what truth is when we start saying my truth, your truth, etc. There's either truth, there's truth and falsehood, but this idea that it's my truth and it's therefore true because it's mine, because it's my deeply held belief, that becomes problematic. But mm. I do know that some people in looking online this week, some people when they say, I'm going to share my truth, sometimes they're talking about, okay, I was a victim once upon a time and I've never talked about it because I've been afraid to and now I'm going to share it. So it's not always a subjective thing. Sometimes it's, I'm going to share an experience that I had 
Um, and it may be absolutely true, that experience that they had. Right, like a recollection of events, um, a, a telling of how something affected you. Um, I've definitely seen people talk about it that way, but I agree with you with what you said earlier that when we start using the terminology that I'm speaking my truth, we do sort of dilute the meaning of what the word truth is. Um, and so if truth is objective and we start using it to elevate things that are subjective, um, to a point where I've now called my perception of something truth. It is not, um, it's not assailable. It's not something that you can argue with. And that's sort of what happens with this rhetoric where there is, well, everyone gets their own is that now no one's truth can be questioned. I'm going to give an example of where this can be problematic and I'm totally making this up, but let me just, just bear with me here. If my husband came home and I said, I just want to share my truth with you. And, and I said, you know, you've just not been very thoughtful towards me and you've just done all kinds of things to hurt my feelings and blah, 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 blah. Okay. So now this is my truth. When I share it as my truth, then he has to say, okay, yep, that's what I've done. But he might actually say, you know what, honey, I'm sorry that you felt that way. I've been so busy this week and I'm going to make time for you this weekend. Maybe I'm really just being ultra sensitive or something like that. But when you say, sure, it is my truth, then he has to automatically say, yes, I'm guilty of all those things. Mm -hmm. That's your truth. That's how you feel. Therefore, I have to agree that I was, did all of these things. Maybe that's not the best example, but. um, Well, and I think it can lead to um, a conflict that's really doesn't have a way to be reconciled because what happens if you say, honey, here's my truth. You have been neglecting me. And he says, well, guess what? My truth is I've been the best husband in the world for the last week. Well, now exactly. what? <laughs> exactly. And, and maybe, um, you know, I remember as a young wife where I had my feelings hurt, but then when I talked to my husband and I realized that he had actually gone out of his way to try to be sensitive to me, this was like when I was pregnant with my first baby, I was just being really emotional, you know, but I, but hearing him out and he was very sensitive to me and whatnot, but when you share your truth, you're basically telling people you have to agree that what, what I'm saying is true. And if you don't, then you're not respecting my truth because this is my truth. No one can question my truth. So the difference between my truth is the truth is based on fact, and my truth is often based on experience. So I don't think there's anything wrong. You know, if I'm feeling neglected this week, if I say to my husband, you know, I feel this way. But I do think that that's different than saying this is my truth. Because I think what's happening is that when people share their truths, you have to believe them. And you have to embrace that as fact, whether it is or isn't. And of course, we've seen that affect Christianity some, you know, um, we, we have uh, experienced that on Theology Gals when we have talked about some uh, particular cases of bad theology affecting women in the church or where we have talked about um, particular books, um, uh, different, sometimes music, different um, false teachers. It never fails that we hear back um, from 
some people, hey, you guys are being judgmental. Um, this is uh, this is not the way Christians should behave. And there's this idea that when we call one another to be under the authority of the truth of the word of God, that that is unkind. And I really do think that um, sometimes it comes with it, this idea that it's okay if that person believes that and you believe this. They still said they were a Christian, so they are. And so you need to stop uh, pointing out the error. And of course, that is a problem because it's it's not um, what the Word of God calls us to do. And I think another way in which I have seen this and even in conversations, uh, when we did the episode on mysticism and some people said to me, well, I have had God talk to me and tell me things. And that that is my experience. And I know that he did. And you just haven't experienced it. And that's why you don't know that that's what he does. And so in, in, we're actually elevating experience above the word of God when we do that. Mm, absolutely. Now, does this make it wrong to talk about feelings, Colleen? No, I think what, what we're talking about here is I don't think it's wrong to talk about feelings or experience at all. I do think it is wrong to elevate our feelings and our experience above our absolute standard for truth, which is the Word of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I do think that it's wonderful to note that feelings, just like our intellect, just like our ability to um, read and understand truth, feelings are given to us by God. Feelings can help us. Um, They can be indicators that something might be wrong. Um, But just like everything else, we test against the word of God. And just like you said, we don't elevate our feelings um, about a teaching, about a person, about a book. Um, We don't elevate that above the absolute truth that's given to us in the scripture. Yeah, and I've actually seen a negative thing even in our circles where uh, you'll like a certain teacher. Well, somebody will like a certain teacher. And so because they have this trust in that teacher, if that teacher says something, then they say, well, I just really like that teacher. And I can't imagine that he would say something that is that is wrong. So now the truth becomes what that teacher says as opposed to the word of God. I've seen people embrace bad doctrine for that very reason. Absolutely. I have seen the same thing. So it all goes back to why truth is important. And and ultimately, our truth is, is based on God and who He is and what He's told us in His Word. I think that we need to remember that truth is important. It's important because we need to have objective things. If I didn't have an objective truth, then I have no reason to trust in God and His Word. Mm, Yes. And, you know, we meet so many women in our group and listeners to the podcast, both men and women, um, friends that we make online who deal with suffering, um, lack of assurance, um, and just really need comfort from the Word of God. Well, God's promises um, that He makes to His people— that's where we find comfort. If we cannot trust those as abs- absolute, then we're sunk. Where where do we find comfort? Well, I am so glad that we can find it in the Word of God because it is objective truth. It can be trusted. 
um, if he says that he will preserve his people, he will. And so we can have trust in that and we can have um, faith in Christ to give us assurance in his promises. Yeah, the promises of God are truth. And we see with the psalmist so many times where the psalmist feels like God has has turned his face from him. You know, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you keep hiding your face from me? Well, God hadn't forgotten him. God hadn't hidden his face from him. And the psalmist realizes even in that passage, wait, how I feel is not reality. Right. Um, And he then says, but I have trusted in your mercy and in your loving kindness. And he goes back and he holds on to the promises of God, which is the truth of God, even though he might not feel those things. Can you imagine, Angela, if you, you had to go testify in court and instead of, um, you know, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Um, do you promise to tell your truth or his <laughs> truth or nothing but her truth? Right. <laughs> you can just go on and put your hand on whatever you want and tell us your own truth. Right. If someone, if someone lied in court, it's probably not going to work, you know, <laughs> that they go in court and say, but I was telling my truth, you know? <laughs> well, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, of course we would think that that would be crazy. Um, you know, in that kind of environment, it's, it's very obvious that what we're looking for is facts, um, objective reality. You know, it reminds me a little bit of when my kids, um, are having an incident. My, my two kids, they're five and three. They love to play together. They are best friends. But as you would expect, there are little squabbles here and there. And um, so sometimes when there's a little disagreement to be had and um, we are helping them work it out, my husband especially will come in um, to a situation and ask them, okay, um, I need you to tell me what happened. And they'll sort of start and you can tell that, you know, a lot of times there's evidence of what happened. So we kind of already know what happened and maybe we'll be able to tell that we're not really getting the whole story. And Matt will say to them, um, I want you to tell me the truth. And he'll say, remember that the truth is what really happened. It's not what you wish happened. It's not what you think I want to hear happened. The truth is what really happened. And that helps them. They usually pause and think and decide that they'll go on and tell the truth of, of the story of whatever uh, the incident was. So, you know, can you imagine if we just said, hey, guys, just tell us whatever you want, whatever you wish happened. <laughs> right. It would be chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, the other thing is, too, is when there's no standard for truth, there's no standard for morality, you know, and we, we see that right now in our own culture, that we, as a culture, we don't always have a standard for truth. And so now there's homosexual marriage and there's abortion, because as a culture, we don't have an absolute standard for truth like we do in the church. And it causes chaos and it's a mess and it's ugly. For our listeners who haven't um, heard our episode on apologetics with Tyler Vela, um, he talked about this in that episode, that this is an amazing way to um, talk about Christianity with someone who is not a Christian, is to ask them, what's your standard? Um, because really, without God, how do you have a standard? 
Um, God is where we get our standard. And when people don't have a standard for truth, that's why we have so many disagreements right now in, <laughs> in our society about so many things. So um, I think because of time, we're going to quickly move on to our last topic. Like we said, it's been such a crazy week on social media. If you've not been on social media this week, then you may not know. But there's a singer named Lauren Daigle. I'll be honest, I'm really, I wouldn't recognize a song of hers if it um, played on the radio. I've not listened to her. I kind of left Christian music a long time ago. Actually, when I became Reformed, Michael Horton had this <laughs> quote that said, when you become a Christian, you throw out your secular music. When you become Reformed, you throw out your Christian music. <laughs> so, <laughs> so true, though. <laughs> that, that's what happened to me. Um, okay, I might still turn on DC Talk sometimes or something. <laughs> Colleen, you just stated yourself. <laughs> yeah, 19, 1980s um, DC talk, that is. <laughs> is. I need to know, Colleen, is God still doing a new thing? <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> Always a new thing. Um, <laughs> so, but she's a, she's pretty popular and she's kind of crossed over into the secular realm too. So a few weeks ago, she went on the Ellen DeGeneres show and a lot of Christians were like, oh. <gasps> She went on a lesbian's talk show. Now, at that time, I was like, so? <laughs> like, that didn't, like, is, would that, is it worse than going on Jimmy Kimmel's show? You right. know, another non-Christian? I didn't completely understand that. Like, was it a bigger deal because she's a homosexual? Maybe people disagree with me, but, like, I was thinking if Ellen did, um, like, top Christian podcasts, of course, it would never be us, but let's just say she did um, pod, Christian or not Christian podcast, but top podcast by women or something like that. And she called up Angela and I and said, Hey, will you come on my show? I'd be like, sure. You know, I'm going <laughs> to go on and share the gospel. That's what I'm Yeah. Do. Yeah. Um, so I didn't completely, I didn't really think that much about it, but so Lauren was on a podcast and I'll just read what she said and, and then we'll go from there. Somebody asked her about the sinfulness of homosexuality. And she said, you know what? I honestly can't answer on that. I have too many people that I love that are homosexual. I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. I'm not God. So when people ask questions like that, that's what my go-to is. I just say, read the Bible and find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know because I'm learning too. I just think that it is really amazing that she points people to read the Bible and in the very same breath says that she doesn't know the answer um, right? because the Bible does give us a very clear answer. Um, and I, it, it makes it difficult for me to hear that little part at the end about when you find out, let me know. If I just take the words at face value, what it means to me is that she's either not read the Bible for herself to get the answer, or she doesn't believe what the Bible says. Um, and both of those, I think, are, are a problem and very disappointing. So there's a blog that I followed, I think, pretty close to when it started, and it's called The Chorus and the Chaos. They're on Pathios, and there's some not-so-great blogs on Pathios, but this is really one of the good blogs on Pathios. These are good guys, good good Christian men that write for this, um, The Chorus and the Chaos. And one of them, Grayson Gilbert, 
wrote an article called We Ought to Expect More from Christian Musicians Like Lauren Daigle. And I'm going to link it in the episode notes. But what happened this week is I thought it was such a great article that I put it on our Theology Gals page, not in the group. I put it in the group later too, but I put it on the page. Now, our page, you know, people that have podcast pages, you put stuff on your page, you get 15, 20 likes, maybe a couple shares. But this one went crazy. And I don't even know (laughs) how people even found out about it. Like this was not Theology Gals followers. How were they seeing this, you know? And so it was a lot of Lauren Daigle's fans. You're being judgmental. Um, You're not being loving. Jesus would never say anything like that. Jesus would never judge, blah, 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 blah. And, And so... This resulted in not just good discussions in our group, but discussions that I saw other places. And some people said, you shouldn't, she's not a pastor or theologian. You shouldn't expect her to know everything. And so some of the discussions were, what should we expect from Christian musicians? And what I got in a discussion with one guy and he said, well, I don't have high expectations for Christian musicians. I only have high expectations for um, officers in the church. And I said, well, I don't have the same expectations for Christians that have a platform built on their faith as I do a pastor in the church, but I still have some expectations for anyone who builds a platform based on their Christian faith. And I think we, we ought to. Now, we know that those, that many of them are going to fall short, especially today, but I think if you're going to build a platform, I think that there should be expectations for for me and for Angela when we have a podcast that's based on our Christian faith, that we're going to know yeah. basics of the Christian faith. Um, but when you're out there, you're writing music and bringing music that is intended to bring people to the worship of God, mm-hmm. you, wanna, you want that person to know who God is. Yeah. And and we've talked about this on the podcast before. There is a way that music communicates directly to your heart and bypasses and goes straight in, in a way that um, other kinds of communication don't necessarily. And so we know that music and the words to our music certainly communicates theology to us. And it, it, it ought to be con- scrutinized. It ought to be um, held up against the word of God, just like anything else that is competing for our minds and our understanding of what the truth is. Well, and anyone who builds a platform based on the Christian faith is influencing people when it comes to things of the faith. So, you know, we did the book, Girl, Wash Your Face, and Rachel Hollis is influencing people in how they think about God. And music if it's got not great words, and I know nothing about um, Lauren's music or the words to her music. I've heard people that I respect have said I've enjoyed her music. But those things are going to influence us and how we think Mm -hmm. about God. Yeah. And as far as building a platform, I mean, you said it already um, a little bit. You know, we have a podcast. We are certainly sharing theology, encouraging our listeners in the study of good theology. Um, And we definitely experience other people scrutinizing us and what they think our theology is and whether or not they agree with us and whether or not we're trustworthy um, and whether they think we're being judgmental. And so 
it's very interesting. Sometimes the very people who say you cannot criticize a public figure for their theology, they are saying that to us and they are doing the very thing that they say should not be done. Um, and so that's a, another example of that self-defeating claim. Bes- but besides that, we know that we are to be judging truth from falsehood. We are to be pursuing good theology, growing up in the word of God, testing all of those things that are put in front of us. And so if if a public figure um, claiming Christ is putting out theology um, in a public way, then it should be tested in a public way. And if it's found wanting, it's okay to say, hey, you know what? This is not true. And the word of God, it does tell you the answer to this. And yes, we should all read it. And here is the answer. You asked for the answer. This is it. This is what the word of God says. Well, and we did a an episode, a question and answer episode uh, about two months ago, and we went over the, the idea from scripture, do not judge lest you be judged yourself and what that mm-hmm. really means. So I won't go into detail. I'll link that episode. Um, but I think a lot of people, like I was reading some of these comments and wondering, have these people read scripture? Because um, like mm-hmm. you know, Jesus was out there saying, you know, scribes, hypocrites and Pharisees. Um, and he was judging them where people were saying to me, Jesus would never. And uh uh, one of my favorite like all-time blog articles is from Carl Truman and he's some people were other bloggers were criticizing you know people need to be nicer and i'm just going i'll link this in the article too but one of my favorite parts from the article he says when the faith is on the line the tone is necessarily strong that mm-hmm. is biblical if you have not gone so far as to call on someone to castrate themselves you have not crossed any boundary of taste set by the Apostle Paul. And if you think anger or sarcasm in theological argument are necessarily sinful, you will end up with Christological problems, for Christ exhibited the former and deployed the latter. No doubt such calls for kindness are well-intentioned, but a sharp cutting tone is generally necessary when the faith is on the line. Now let me say, I do think that there are people out there that are judgmental in a way that is not fruitful, they're not gracious, they're not kind. And so in no way am I saying that we should be out there um, as fruit inspectors to make sure Mm -hmm. everyone's, we should not be pharisaical. So that's not what I'm saying. But we we had some pretty harsh words when there was a false gospel in Rachel Hollis's book, because it was necessary to say this is a blatantly false gospel because it is it is deceiving people that think that they're Christians believing a blatantly false gospel and they don't know Christ at all. And so there are times for necessarily strong tone. My heart especially becomes heavy when I know that people are being deceived wrongly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important, the distinction that Truman makes in that quote Um, is when the faith is on the line. So it's like you said, it's when we're talking about a false gospel. It's when we're talking about first order doctrines. Um, It's not when we're talking about wine or grape juice in the Lord's Supper. Um, It's when we're talking about a false gospel and when people are being deceived. Um, And those things are really important. And he's right that um, that 
type of very sharp tone is exhibited in the word of God against um, those kinds of false teaching. Yeah, go read Galatians. <laughs> and and so we seek to be gracious and, and kind and um, have fruitful discussions and and to be true to the word of God and what he has called us to. I did want to um, say one last thing when she says she didn't know because she has homosexuals that she loves. And let me say, I have a cousin who's a homosexual. So I, and I have a family friend who's a homosexual. I lost a family friend to AIDS. And so I've had and have people in my life that I love dearly that are homosexuals. And, you know, when my cousin came out to me, I preached the gospel to him. And he said to me, everybody else is focusing on my homosexuality. And I said, you're a sinner just like I am and you need Christ. And I love my cousin so much that I preached the law and the gospel to him. And so saying, I love this person, would we say the same thing about a murderer or a thief? But I just have a lot of um, thieves in my life that I just love. So I don't know if it's wrong. No, we wouldn't. That'd be silly. Right. And if we know the truth and we keep it from them, is that really love? It's not. It's not. The loving thing to do is to tell them the truth, not your truth, the word of God, the truth of his standard, what the law is, and the way that God has made for us to be to come to him and to be made whole and righteous in him. Amen. I think that's a good a good place to wrap it up. Um, you know, I didn't say anything in the beginning and it might not be noticeable, but I've been sick this whole week. I, I think I have the plague or something. So if I sound... I think you sound fantastic, actually. Okay. We talked some this week and I, I was worried this week. I thought, oh my goodness, she's been so sick, but you sound fabulous tonight. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, this is called um, recording the podcast from my bed wrapped up in blankets. <laughs> <laughs> doing it. Um, but I wanted to mention just a couple things. We do have for one more week, 20% off all Theology Gals merchandise for Christmas. So if you want a shirt or a mug and tell your husband and um, the, the discount code will be in the episode notes. For the rest of the year, I wanted to just kind of give a heads up. Next week, we have Ray Rhodes on the podcast about his book, Susie. It's about uh, Susie Spurgeon, and it's just an excellent interview. We've already recorded it and just really enjoyed talking to him. Just, I was just so encouraged by it, and we definitely recommend the book. And then for the last two weeks of this year, we are going to play some best of episodes because the our release date comes right on holidays, well, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And so we know we have a lot of new listeners, and so it might be new episodes for some of you, but wanted to give everyone a heads up about that too. And we just appreciate um, all of our listeners so much. And it's just been an amazing year with Theology Gals. We miss having Ashley, and um, she'll be off for quite a while. She, we don't know what the future looks like with her. It's a lot um, being a new mom and working and moving, and she's just got a lot on her plate. Um, but we do hope to bring her back at some point or for special episodes. And so grateful that Angela has joined us and 
just grateful for all of our listeners and, you know, we get encouraging notes from people and it's just, it's worth it to us doing this. If you'd like to support us, there's information on our, on our um, page. I do want to let you know that the new website will finally be out in the next week or two. They're working on it right now. It will be theologygals.com. So keep an eye open for that too. Well, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.